we're going through Philippians on Wednesday nights, and I turned to Micah thinking it's Sunday school, so let me... <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite chapters. Not that that matters to you, but uh, I do love this chapter of the Bible. And we'll begin in Philippians chapter 3 by reading verses 9 through 14 tonight. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are beforehand, or excuse me, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So earlier in this chapter, Paul made it clear that we are to place no confidence in our flesh. No confidence when it comes to knowing the Lord in salvation and no confidence in our flesh in drawing closer to the Lord after salvation. God can only save us through Christ. Amen. And we can only draw near to God through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all that Saul of Tarsus had been trusting in, in hopes of having a right relationship with God, he had accounted all but loss, he said. He counted it all but dung. What he thought was profiting him, he had to let go of. In order that he might win Christ. Even with all his good works and all of his self-righteousness, he was still on the outside looking in. That's a lot of people in church. But once he learned to count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and once he learned he could not be right with God without a personal relationship with Christ, he came to Christ for salvation. He trusted, get this now, he trusted in who Christ is, not who he was. We have to come to the point where it's no longer about us, but it's all about Christ. And now, as we saw last week in verse 9, Paul was found in Christ. How? He wrote, Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He forsook his righteousness and he trusted in Christ's righteousness. He realized that his own righteousness was never good enough but he had to have somebody else's righteousness, somebody else to stand in his place, and he needed Christ. Saul had looked to the keeping of the law. For him, that would have been uh, a mix of the ceremonial law of God and the oral tradition, which had become um, part of life in Judaism. They had started to take the traditions of men and added those to the Word of God. In his mind, if he could keep those things, then he would be right before God. And the application last week was anyone who thinks that they are good enough are in reality looking to their own law. If somebody thinks that they're good enough to be right with God uh, on their own or, or adding to or something like that, then they have developed their own law. Now, they wouldn't put it in those words, but they've developed their own law that they're keeping 
thinking that that's what's making them right with God. They have their ideas on what they think makes them righteous before God. They trust in those things. They look to those things. They point to Him and say, see, I've done this. I've gone to church. I was raised in church. My parents knew God. I, I remember I was baptized as a kid, and, and I remember once I used to, and do you know God? Unfortunately, the self-righteous movement has exploded in the 21st century. I talked about this last week. We're just still recapping here. It manifests itself in the phrase, my God. You'll hear that out there as you witness to people. Um, My God is a God of love. My God doesn't judge anyone. Well, that may be your God, but that's not necessarily the God of the Bible. And because they don't want to be conformed into God's image, they attempt to conform God into their image of what they think a God should be. And then as a result, they have to try to find fault with the Bible. Well, you know, the Bible's old. It was written by men. Uh, We're in a different culture today. It doesn't apply the same way it did back then. And they find all kinds of reasons to disagree with the Word of God. And what's amazing is when you try to show them what the Bible really says, all of a sudden this person who believes in a God of love is no longer that loving. That always amazes me. They actually get upset. I thought your God was a God of love and a God of no judgment, and yet now you're judging me. So what you're witnessing is someone trying to establish their own righteousness as the basis of their holiness before God. They're trying to work for their salvation is what it comes down to. And they're in essence creating their own God because they don't want the God of the Bible and His righteousness I mentioned last week, it's the spirit of the Laodicean church in Revelation 3. They were the ones saying that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But Jesus said to them that they knew not that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The self-righteous crowd says, I'm good, don't worry about me. I had someone tell me this when I asked how they knew for sure how they'd been saved. Well, they've been blinded to their need. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Not according to God. I mentioned also how sad it is that someone who claims to be in Christ can actually get upset when you ask them to tell you how they are in Christ. And I bragged on Jeff Russ, but one week of pulpit praise is enough for Jeff Russ for the whole year. Amen. But when when you were asked, he was happy about it. Sure, I'll tell you how I came to know Christ as my Savior. Imagine somebody asking you that and you getting upset that they asked you. Are you in Christ or not? It's supposed to be the best day you can have. I mean, it's been the best day of my life to know that my miserable soul was saved from hell. But people get upset about it. They're supposedly saved, but somehow they're mad. (laughs) What a terrible way to live. What a terrible way to live. It could be they're not found in Him to begin with. could be Jesus is on the outside knocking to come in. could be they're trusting in their own righteousness. could be they have another law that they are trusting in above God's law. Well, we concluded last week with the remedy of our own self-righteousness, and that is we need to place our faith in Christ alone. We need to go to Him for salvation. And then what happens when we come to Christ for salvation, and you may not have understood all this when you first got saved, but His righteousness is imputed to us. We get His righteousness as a result of being in Christ. Isaiah 61.10 says, 
I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robes of righteousness. We get His righteousness. What a blessing. And it becomes no longer about us, but about Him. Remember what Romans 10.14 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Once a self-righteous sinner turns to Christ, the law that they've been trusting in, it comes to an end. It, it doesn't matter anymore. It, it becomes lost. And they realize, I can't trust in those things to be made right before God. Um, and we saw how we have to be made righteous. Remember that? We, we cannot make ourselves righteous. We can't work our way to righteousness. We have to be made righteous. And that only comes through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for He, God, hath made Him Christ to be sin for us. The sinless one became sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Titus 3, 5, and 6 is about as clear as it can get. Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so the question was very simple. Are you found in Christ? When God looks at your life, does He see you on the inside or the outside? Are you in Him? Has His righteousness been imputed to your account? Are you robed in righteousness? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? If not, you've got to come to the place where you stop trusting in your own righteousness. You've got to stop looking at your law and what you think God ought to be. And you've got to receive the God of this Bible. God said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You're either found in Christ or you're found outside of Christ. Where are you being found tonight? For tonight, let's move to verse number 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Now that Paul was found in Christ, he could go on to know Christ. Amen. This is so good. This is the pinnacle of all human life. This is it. This is it. Do you know Him? Do you know God? That's it. Everything else is secondary. Do you know? There's nothing greater you can do with your life than know God. Not just, listen, not just knowing Him in salvation, but knowing Him in a relationship. Knowing Him better, deeper, more intimately, more closely. Knowing Him. You can actually have a relationship with the Creator. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. You can know Him. Paul here says that I may know Him. Stop trusting in his own righteousness. And he came to know Christ. All the religions of this world trust in works one way or another as the basis of their righteousness. You see, when you boil it all down, it's, it's either... You either work your way or it's by grace. Every religion is by works. True Christianity is by grace. And that's what it comes down to. 
they do this, those who are working, in hopes of gaining the favor of their deity or deities and whatever the case may be. They do that in hopes of gaining favor. But the closest they'll ever get is to hope that they will be accepted at the end of this life. And if you witness to them, you find this out. They don't ever really know for sure. And this is what makes Christianity so unique. In Christ, we don't have to wonder if our standing with God is secure. Once we're in Christ, it's, it's secure. We are sealed until the day of redemption. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Listen, we're secure. Well, preacher, it sounds like you believe in one saved, always saved. Yeah. We don't have to wonder. We can live with the blessed assurance that we know Him. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John said, you can know that you know Him. Whoop. Once you're in Christ, you know it. Boy, it sounds like a bunch of people are in Christ tonight, amen? <laughs> well, anyway, I'm, I might be the only one excited, but th- there is an insurance which every believer possesses. Listen, I'm not saying there's not seasons of doubt and, and those things and growing pains, but there ought to come a point where you, you get it settled and you realize I'm in Christ. Um, and, and this is something that every believer uh, will have. And, and it's the assurance that puzzles so many that we witness to. In their mind, how can somebody really know for sure that they know God? How can someone really have the assurance of salvation? And they get so focused on establishing their own righteousness in order to impress God and others that they miss the reality of God's simple salvation in Christ alone. And what happens is they have yet to enter into God's rest over there in Hebrews 3 and 4. We have entered into God's rest. We have entered to the point where we don't look to works. I don't have time to go preach that. But we have rest in God. Paul would write in 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. You see, knowing God is the Christian life. Amen. Knowing Him. True Christianity isn't the keeping of, of any kind of law as our trust. We don't look to that as our trust. We keep the commandments of God because we love Him, but we don't trust in those in order to be in a right standing. It it, it isn't in hoping that our good is going to outweigh our bad on Judgment Day. But that's what a lot of people say. Well, I I hope that my good outweighs my bad. Well, that's the wrong thing to be trusting in. It, It isn't in any confidence of our flesh, but true Christianity is knowing God. John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. What's eternal life? Knowing God. I not only ask people now if they know God, but I ask them, does God know you? People will give you all kinds of reasons on why they believe they know God. But I've discovered when I ask people, does God know you? They'll say, I hope so. Jesus did not bleed and die for you to hope so. He suffered so that you could be sure that you know God personally. This will be the issue on Judgment Day. 
Jesus will either say, Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord, or depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 tells us that Jesus will take vengeance on them that know not God. Psalm 79.6 says, Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee. The ultimate issue isn't whether or not you've been good enough or bad enough, but it'll all come down to whether or not you know Christ. Not do you know about God. Not that you know of God but do you know Him personally? Do you have a personal walk with God? Sometimes when I speak to others about Christ and their need for Christ, it'll come to a point where I no longer have a satisfactory answer for their complex issues that they're dealing with. It's an answer that is satisfactory to me, but not to someone who's not in faith. Does that make sense? I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Because there are some hard questions to be answered that people do struggle with legitimately. How do we deal with, the, with cancer in children, for example? Um, questions that are hard. I, I believe I know the answer biblically, and I have peace with that, but they may not yet because they're not yet in Christ. And so when, when it comes to that point where I feel like um, I'm not really getting any further with what's holding them back, um, I, I let them know this. I don't know a lot of things, and I really don't. I don't know a lot of things, but I know that I know God personally. I don't have all the answers, but I know God. You hear my heart? I can stand up here tonight and tell you, I know the Creator God. I want people to know that because it's, that is what the Christian life is all about. It is this truth which has been the joy of my life. And for this reason, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 is my favorite passage. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I don't have wisdom to glory in. I don't have riches to glory in. But I can glory in this. I know God. Whoop! <laughs> I am his, and he is mine. I know that I know this. And I know it's not because of any righteousness of my own. But it's because Christ made the way. And it's interesting because as we would think of a passage like Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, what it is saying, it is saying we have no righteousness of our own to trust in. We have no wisdom, no strength, and no riches. We can't buy our salvation. We can't be strong enough to, to win it. And, and we just can't be smart enough to conceive of it and, and all those things in a carnal mind. But throwing all that aside, we understand that all of our glory has to be in the Lord. Paul mentions uh, that passage in Jeremiah when he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise... God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, 
And the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I have nothing more in this life that I can glory of than the the fact that I know God. I don't have to glory in how great I think our church is. I think it's pretty great. Because of Christ. But above all else that I could boast, there's nothing greater than boasting about God. Knowing Him. Do you know Christ tonight? You say, preacher, this is a Wednesday night crowd. We all know Christ. Not do you believe in a man named Jesus. Not even that you believe that He lived, died, resurrected, and ascended. The devils also believe this. That's what the Bible says. You see, a head knowledge is not going to do. But you have to know Him. Now, Paul here isn't just talking about knowing Him and salvation, but what... I believe this is getting at ultimately is now that he's been found in him, he will know him more and more. It's a progressive knowledge of God. It's knowing him deeper. As you go through this Christian life, you ought to know Christ more than you did last year. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, there is a breadth breadth to God. There is a depth to God. There is a height to God. There is a, a length to God. There is a love of Christ that passes knowledge. And as we walk with Him, we begin the process of comprehending the fullness of God who He is, His character, what all He has done for us, not just in salvation, but through salvation. And and listen, are you growing in your knowledge of Christ? Are you desirous to know Him more and more? Salvation is so much more than being saved from hell. Salvation is knowing God relationally. For those who have been married long enough, you know your spouse more now than when you were first married. I hope you do. Your love is different for them today than when you first started out. Your love should be more rich and more full. Because you've now experienced love more thoroughly. You've walked the mountaintops together. You've walked through valleys together. You've weathered the same storms. You've wept together. You've laughed together. You've seen each other's weaknesses and yet you chose to stay with them. And now your love is deeper today as a result. Well, the Bible says we're married to Christ. And if we stay with Him, then we can see how He has walked with us through this life, over the mountains, into the valleys. 
He's been there in our storms. We've laughed with Him. He's cried with us. and He's seen our weakness. And yet He stayed with us. And after years of walking with the Lord, I can see how He has chosen to stay with me in spite of me. There is nothing good about Gary Brooks. He has every right to punt me to the side. My love for him now is greater than it was 31 years ago when I first came to know him as Savior. He's been with me every step of the way. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And now my, rela- my relationship with Christ has gone beyond Him just being my Savior. He's become my friend. My friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm closer to my wife than I am any other human being because of what we've been through. Likewise, I am closer to my Savior than anyone because of what we've been through. I know Christ has transformed my life. He took me out of that horrible pit filled with miry clay. He put my feet on a rock and He established my goings. He really did. I would have never chosen to be up here. I know Him for how He has answered prayers in my life. I'm talking about knowing Him. I know Him because He has answered my prayers. I know that. I know Him for how He changed my direction in life. I know Him for how He has blessed my life with peace and joy. I know Him for how He has been long-suffering, compassionate, merciful, and gracious to this old boy who don't deserve it, doesn't deserve it. I know Him. And yet I feel as though I've only scratched the surface in comprehending what is the breadth, length, depth, and height and love of Christ. I do understand that it passes knowledge, but just how far it exceeds my knowledge, I've yet to learn. I don't know that we'll ever know that this side of glory. Maybe ever, I don't know. Paul told the Ephesians that he should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I say with Paul in Romans eleven thirty three, oh the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In nineteen thirty three, Alfred Henry Ackley wrote the hymn entitled He Lives, sometimes called I Serve a Risen Savior. I'm not sure how it's in our hymn book, but it goes like this I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer in just the time I need Him. He's always near. In all the world around me, I see His loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of His appearing will come at last. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, the King. The hope of all who seek Him. The help of all who find None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. 
He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. I know Him. Those who know Christ know they know Him because He lives within their heart. They know that He walks with them and He talks with them in this life. Not audibly, but through God's Word. Other, others may doubt God's existence, but I know He is real because I know Him. Romans 8.16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know Christ? That I may know Him. Do you know Him? Do you know Him in salvation? He bled and died for you to be saved. Do you know Christ beyond salvation? He sent the Holy Ghost into your life that you may have daily fellowship with Him. Maybe you're in Christ tonight, and I believe that's a great many of you. Maybe you're in Christ tonight, but you know you need to know Christ better. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You say, I want to know Him better. I want to know Him more. You've got to be in the light. Light and dark cannot have fellowship. And so you've got to be in the light. What does that mean? Listen, you're going to have to learn to get rid of some things in your life. I pray all of us will get to know our Lord more and more into the perfect day. And I hope you'll make time to be in His Word, to be in prayer, to be in His house and around His people. Knowing God is why He came. He wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to know Him. And if you'll draw near to Him, the Bible says He will draw near to you. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And We are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Colossians 1.10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Are you increasing in that knowledge? 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We have to grow in our knowledge of Him. It's not going to magically happen in your life. You have to put forth the effort to know Him. You put forth the effort to get to know that one that you eventually married. But I'll bet you didn't on wedding day say, well, I'm glad we're married. I'll see you next Sunday. No, you probably saw them the next day in all of their glory. Amen. (laughs) Grant and Sydney are back. What a blessing. Amen. I'm not going to ask if one of you had morning breath. Um, do you know God? Do you know Him? And do you know Him better than you used to know Him? May we be a people that can glory in the fact that we know God. Let's pray.